Hello and welcome to the Desperate and Appalling podcast series. My name is Paul Sloan and together with my co-author Des McHale we've written a number of books ranging from uh, lateral thinking puzzles, mathematical lateral thinking puzzles, world's best word puzzles, one, two, three, four, wacky, witty and wonderful words are some of the books we've written. And in this series of podcasts, we chat about puzzles, situations, words, anything that takes our fancy. So please sit back, enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, come back and listen to some more. Well, hello, Des. How are you today? Very well today, Paul. Good, good, good. I think we're going to talk about one of your favourite subjects today, mathematicians. Yes, yes. Don't switch off, please. Don't switch off. (laughs) But before we do, we should give the answer to the puzzle we set in the previous episode, which was, if I have a B in my hand, what do I have in my eye? And would you like to give us the answer to that, Des? Well, I think I'll leave, I think that's your puzzle. I think I'll leave that to you. It's a, it's a brilliant solution, I think. Well, it's very lateral, I think. If I have a B in my hand, then I have beauty in my eye. Because according to the old proverb, beauty is in the, eye, in the eye of the B holder. holder. Very nice. Very clever. Okay, so I asked you to select your six favourite mathematicians, and you've you've you agreed to undertake that onerous task. How did you choose the six top mathematicians for this list? Well, when I was teaching a module on the history of mathematics, at the end of the module, I would ask the students to pick their favourite or best mathematicians, and uh, it's largely based on the results of that but I think really I picked them because they're interesting and they've got first of all they're all great mathematicians they make great mathematical discoveries I had to go for discoveries that would be explainable to people I mean Riemann for example is one of the greatest mathematicians of all time but his work is so technical it would take half an hour to explain what's going on so uh, that wouldn't be a good choice but then uh, they also were human beings with foibles and each uh, for each one I've picked out something funny or something peculiar or quirky that they did and I think it's nice for people to know that mathematicians are human beings and that they have human weaknesses and that they aren't perfect in every way. So who's the first person on your list? I'd say the first person is Archimedes who most people know about and he was the greatest mathematician of, of antiquity and certainly he was one of the greatest mathematicians of all time. He was a lateral thinker because he's supposed to have destroyed the Roman fleet almost single-handedly by just taking the Mediterranean sun and focusing lenses on the um, mass of the uh, Roman fleet and burning it and destroying it, just in his mind. His mathematical discoveries are absolutely fantastic. He was the first person to give an accurate value for pi. He showed that pi was less than three and one-sevenths and greater than three and ten over seventy-one. And that, that, that's an astonishing thing. But he also has recently been put forward as the inventor of calculus. We think Newton and Leibniz are the people who invented yes. calculus in the modern world. But Archimedes actually had a form of calculus in which he could calculate the areas underneath curves on his own um, way back in, in, in BC times, which is absolutely fantastic. And of course, the, the human part is that uh, he took a bath every year, whether he needed it or not, and he had to be dragged by his slaves and servants into the bathhouse, and he would be dragged screaming, and he would be still doing mathematical calculations with his finger in the ashes of the coals that were heating up the water for him. And of course, the famous story about him is that we got into the bath, and he suddenly discovered that uh, the principle of Archimedes, that he'd been given a crown to see if it was made of pure gold or not. And he discovered the principle of Archimedes and he jumped from the bath shouting Eureka and 
ran through the streets, naked through the streets of Syracuse. Some people in Eureka refers to the way he smelled, not having a bath only once a year. But Archimedes was, I think, one of the greatest. And for his time, he was just fantastic. One of the greatest minds, I think, that uh, the human race has produced. The Archimedes principle is, is in physics, really, isn't it? The, it the, is, yes. These people were scientists and mathematicians. I mean, yes. they covered sort of all areas. But he's remembered mostly for the principle of Archimedes and the law of flotation, which aren't terribly important, really. But his mathematical discoveries were really what, what makes him stand out. OK, so he's a worthy starter. Uh, who would you put second on the list? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not putting them in any particular order now. They're just at this spring to mind. And Isaac Newton certainly has to come in. I mean, certainly, I think, the greatest mathematician and scientist that Britain ever produced. And uh, the Sunday Times in 2000 uh, named him as man of the millennium in all fields, art and science and politics and everything else. So he was man of the millennium. That was on a reader's vote. Laws of motion come from him, which are the basis of physics. He was certainly the co-inventor of calculus with Leibniz, and uh, he didn't know about Archimedes' discoveries, and uh, he did some fantastic work in mathematics, interpolation, all sorts of things. He was elected Member of Parliament for Cambridge, and he sat in Parliament, and everyone was waiting, what is his maiden speech going to be? What's the maiden speech of the greatest scientist of the age, maybe of all times? And eventually Newton got up to speak and stood up and said, the window behind me is open and it's causing a draft. I wonder, would anybody close it, please? And that was his only speech in Parliament. So he wasn't eccentric in, in, in that way. Didn't make that speech that really set the word of politics alight. And of course, all of the subsequent science of mechanics and motion and the Industrial Revolution uh, were based on Newton's laws. And, and it said that the moon landings, all the calculations in the moon landings uh, for, for uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin yeah. were based on Newton's laws. Absolutely. And of course, I didn't mention the law of gravitation, which, you know, someone said uh, Newton discovered gravity. He didn't discover it. It was there all the time. But he discovered the mathematical way of actually expressing it. And as somebody said, it's a good job Newton wasn't sitting under a pear tree and was an apple hit him in the head, or we certainly wouldn't have had the law of gravitation. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Newton is a worthy member of, of your list. So let's move on to your third His choice is, is Gauss, who was a German mathematician. And uh, again, many people put him down as one of the most famous mathematicians of all time. Um, we know that we can solve quadratic equations with the quadratic formula, x minus, minus b plus or minus the square root of b squared minus 4ac over 2a. Ever really learned that in school. But Gauss discovered what's called the fundamental theorem of algebra, that you can solve any polynomial equation, a cubic, um, a quartic, a hextic, whatever, using complex numbers in, in exactly the same way. He also was the first person to construct a 17-sided polygon with ruler and compass alone. And it was the Greeks did not know about that, didn't believe that could be done. And that was the reason he became a mathematician. He was so intrigued. He was going to become a theologian first. And then he discovered the 17-sided polygon that you could make it with a, a ruler and compass. And um, that was the reason he turned to mathematics. Now, again, a, a little human foible of Gauss. I mean, I, I used to admire Gauss an awful lot. I think he was a wonderful and a marvelous man. Slightly more doubtful when I heard the story of when his wife was dying and uh, he was in his study doing mathematics and the doctor called him and said, uh, I'm, Herr Gauss, I think your wife is just about to go. I think she's going to die. And he said, could you wait just a few minutes until I finish this theorem that I'm working on? And I, <laughs> there was somebody who put the proof of a mathematical theorem before the death of his wife. And uh, you'd need to like mathematics an awful lot, I think, before you do something like that. But he was a very great mathematician. And I mean, he did hydrodynamics. He did all sorts of other things. 
He was a, a, a pure and applied mathematician, also a practical scientist. He was an astronomer and uh, he, I think he discovered some new asteroids and planets and things. And uh, he was an all round scientist in every way. Great, well, let's move on to the fourth. Number four. Number four is Euler, the Swiss mathematician. Um, my, my son is living in Switzerland and he says every morning he passes by Eulerstrasse. So they have streets named after uh, prolific mathematicians in, in, in uh, Switzerland. He discovered the famous formula E to the I pi plus one equals zero, which is the most astonishingly beautiful and elegant result in mathematics. He did a lot of other things as well. The bridges of Konigsberg, the people in Konigsberg wanted to know if you could set out from their house walk over each bridge over the river once and only once and go back to your starting point. And uh, nobody could do this. So they sent the problem to Euler and he proved that it was impossible. And in so doing, invented a whole new area of mathematics, combinatoric um, topology. So, who, I mean... Who first discovered E or who first defined it? It could have been Euler, I don't know. But it was around that time. I mean, the, the Greeks didn't have it. The Greeks didn't have exponentials, but it was around that time. And it started with calculus and the solution of differential equations because E occurs very, very naturally. I mean, population growth, for example, is, is, is exponential, meaning that the rate of growth is proportional to the size of the object at any given time. And that's a fundamental law of nature. They say that 90% of the mathematics that students do in college stems from Euler. If you look at any modern mathematics textbook, calculus book, algebra book, most of it actually comes from Euler wrote over nearly a thousand papers and uh, they were just being published all the time. Little story about him is that he went, he went blind when, for the last 20 years of his life, but it didn't stop him. He dictated all of his mathematics to his two daughters and we owe to his daughters the fact that all of Euler's mathematics is good. But he seems to be a very, very nice man, a very uh, kind man. Very often I discover something in mathematics myself. The first thing I would do is that we go to the library and look up Euler's works to see if it's in there. And many times it is in there already, 300 years ago, that he discovered it. He had the same idea that you had, but way before you. Yes. And you feel he's smiling at you down through the pages of history. It's a nice feeling. He's a guy I, I admire an awful lot. Very nice, very pleasant man. So we've had um, a Greek, we've had an Englishman, we've had a German, we've had a Swiss. Who's next? The next is a Frenchman. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing it deliberately this, but it turns out this way. And this is maybe an eccentric choice, but it's Fermat, Pierre de Fermat. He was an amateur. Now, amateur, my God, I mean, he was a really very, very good amateur. He was trained as a lawyer. We did mathematics in his spare time. And uh, everyone's heard of Fermat's last theorem. We know that three squared plus four squared equals five squared, but you can't have the sum of two cubes, sum of two integer cubes equals an integer cube. Although you can go quite close. Nine cubed plus 10 cubed is equal to 12 cubed plus one cube. So you can get within one. Fermat said you can't get the, the exact equality there. Now, he also said for higher powers, you can't have eight a to the fifth plus B to the fifth equals C to the fifth or any higher power. And he wrote in the margin of the book that he was working on, the, the book on, on number theory, that I've discovered a wonderful proof of this fact, but the margin is too narrow to put it in. And he died before he told anyone. So we don't think he ever had a proof of this. And in 1996, an English mathematician, Andrew Wiles, actually proved Fermat's last theorem. But the proof is over a thousand pages long and uses all sorts of modern and advanced techniques that Fermat wouldn't have known. We'll never know if Fermat had a proof or not, but Wiles, nobody else thinks he did. But and Wiles' proof is absolutely fantastic. But if he did have a proof, it would have been simple and elegant, wouldn't it? Using it would, the techniques of the day. It would. But my goodness, I mean, to do it in a page or half a page, 
looks like impossible. I mean, look at all the number of clever people who've tried since yes. and nobody's got within a mile of it. The fact that Wales got it out at all was amazing. They, they actually announced the result was correct before Wales uh, gave authorization. It turned out there was a mistake and they had to go back and fill in the gap. Okay, so we've done five. The sixth one might not be included in some people's list, but I just had to talk about him because I've written four books about him. And it's George Boole, an English shoemaker's son who was self-taught. And he never went to secondary school, never went to college. And yet he became professor at my university, at Queen's College Cork, with no qualifications whatsoever. But he did win a gold medal of the Royal Society. And he did have recommendations from the greatest mathematicians of the day. He wrote a book called The Laws of Thought. He was very interested in how the human mind operates, handles information, handles logic. And he wanted to understand that. His stuff in logic stayed there for about 100 years and nobody paid much attention. But in 1939, a man called Claude Shannon discovered that it was exactly the correct mathematics and algebra to handle computers, switching circuits, and all sorts of electronic uh, apparatus. And therefore, Boole is known as one of the fathers of the digital revolution. And he created Boolean algebra, did he? Uh, that's correct. And Boolean algebra occurs in dozens of different mathematical contexts, the mixing of colours, logic, uh, switching circuits, um, all sorts of places that you wouldn't expect. It's one of the fundamental structures of modern mathematics. And fundamental structures of computing and computer programming. Absolutely correct. I mean, electronics depends almost into any anything you pick up, if you pick up a, a computer or a or, um, calculator, whatever, they all depend on Boolean algebra further. I don't think most people realise that if you you have a, a, even a pocket calculator and you ask it to calculate the sine of 10 degrees, it expresses the sine as an infinite series. It then sums the infinite series to maybe 30 or 40 decimal places, and then the answer flashes up on your screen instantaneously. It's That's amazing. Quite I mean, kids using calculators or computers have no idea of the complexity of what goes on in there. And maybe they should be told a bit more. You've chosen six, Archimedes, Newton, Gauss, Euler, Fermat and Boole. I'm going to put you on the spot now. If you had to choose one of those as the Supremo, who would it be? Yeah, it's like asking somebody, you know, what's their favourite finger? I mean, uh, their five <laughs> fingers, for which is the favourite one? But it would have to be Euler, I think, just in terms of the the vast scope of his work, the amount of papers that he wrote, the ingenuity. I mean, the guy was an absolute genius. But Archimedes would come a close second because Archimedes had no infrastructure. You know, he did it all himself. He, he, he was actually able to calculate the circumference of the earth at a time when other people thought the earth was flat. Yeah. And, you know, he, he was he was totally isolated. I, I, I think they were, they're all geniuses in different ways. It's very hard to compare them. And of course, Newton, Gauss, Fermat, but others, they're all pretty good as well. I don't think you can actually order them in any way, but personal preference would be Euler. Okay. And if you had to add one or two others, who, who, do, you, who do you regret? Well, Riemann, certainly. But the trouble is Riemann is so technical so that, you know, I mean, it take a long time. It, it, it's not stuff you can explain to people. And then there was Lagrange and Laplace. And uh, I would think it would be quite easy to write down 20 people. That, Descartes, for example. I mean, Descartes was a great philosopher. He invented coordinate geometry, which uh, abolished geometry in one way and replaced it with algebra. Um, and, and Descartes also had ideas that led to the development of calculus. Calculus was, is a great invention, but it wasn't just one person at one time. Everybody is building on what everybody else did. And Descartes was actually able to find the equations of tangents to curve before Newton could do it. 
Okay, so that's a little tour of great mathematicians. And we have written a book called Mathematical Lateral Thinking Puzzles, which I think anyone listening to this podcast who's interested in mathematics would enjoy. Very good for keen mathematicians of any age. The, the, the puzzles in it range from simple to quite advanced, but most of them have elegant solutions, lateral solutions, which are accessible rather than difficult, obscure solutions yeah. which require very advanced mathematics. It's the only book of its kind. And I mean, it's it's really to say, look, you can either cover 10 pages with abstruse calculations or you can do it in one line if you sit back and think about it. And I think that attracts a lot of people to mathematics, the elegance, the mental elegance of solutions to problems. And I like them very much indeed. So here's a question from the book, a very short question uh, and, and an interesting concept. Can you write down 100 consecutive positive integers, none of which is a prime number. So 100 consecutive integers, none of which is a prime number, and you would know that for certain. Uh, you'd be able to prove that. So uh, that's a little puzzle, and it's something we'll give the solution to in the next episode of this podcast series. So on that note, I'd say thank you very much, Des. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.